Uh, hands up if I say the name Bear Gryllis, if you know who I'm talking about. Bear Gryllis. Come on. Okay, man versus wild. You versus wild. No. I'm reading his autobiography. Thank you. Relevant ones at the back. I'm reading his autobiography at the moment, Mud, Sweat, and Tears. He's a believer, came to faith in his teens. Uh, is a very adventurous person. If you're watching the show, he will be in life-threatening situations, imminent danger. And you kind of think, I wish I was there with him. Now, what is going on? He'll drop into a jungle, there'll be a tiger nearby, and he's just really enthusiastic about the whole thing. I was reading his autobiography, half the way through it, and when he was a kid, he decided that he was going to be the most enthusiastic person that he knew. And there's something really contagious if someone's enthusiastic. You want to be around them more. Not so with people that press the negative button. You cast your mind back, whether it's college or school or work. At some point in our lives, we've all worked with someone. And instead of pressing the fun button at the first opportunity, they just press the negative button. And you're having a good occasion, and then they're just, oh, there we go, that's what's wrong with this. You're looking at it from the wrong angle. And it, over time, it's just exhausting. Like, it kind of fills your heart up with all of this, like, disappointment. And it starts to change the way we look at the world. And so today's message is basically, what is in our hearts? What is in your heart? We're going to look at, it's either God's word or God's promises, God's goodness or kind of worship, or it's deferred hope or disappointment. And they can't reside in our hearts at the same time. They're constantly competing for space. And I believe each time we worship here, God is wanting to fill our hearts with more of him, which is why you feel safe, which is why you feel hopeful, which is why you feel drawn to worship. Worship is the one thing you do not feel when that person regularly presses the negative button. And a look at Luke uh, chapter 1, two different accounts of people. One person had their heart full of disappointment, and understandably so. So when the angel Gabriel was, went to give them good news, they were not able to receive the good news because their heart was just full of disappointment. And then another person, a lot younger, whose heart was open to God. The heart was full of the goodness of God. And so when the angel Gabriel gives that person good news, they are able to believe it and receive it. Be reading from Luke chapter 1. Before I do that, I am going to pray. Father God, thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself to us. Thank you that we live in a time and an age where we can have access to Bibles, multiple Bibles. We have access in our phone, by our bedside. Lord, help us to love you through encountering you through your word as well as through worship and community and solitude and silence and prayer. Lord, I pray you open our eyes to understand what is in each one of our hearts today. And Lord, give us those words and those promises with which uh, to fill our hearts so that we expect good things from you, that we may uh, suffer well, that we may love well, 
In Jesus' name, amen. So typically, people speak words incredibly powerful things. If someone speaks and we hear, over time, it just kind of impacts us. Likewise, when we speak ourselves, when we speak ourselves, the first person that hears it is us, which is why if you ask someone a question and they'll kind of describe something or explain something to you, almost like clarifying process for the person doing the talking. They come to a a realization better. And that's because we're the people when we speak, that hear the words first. And it really impacts the state of our hearts. I'm going to read about Zechariah. He was a priest. He was of age. He was an old man. He had a very privileged position. He was appointed as the high priest, which meant he went into the Holy of Holies once a year. When you read the text, you're going to see that the angel Gabriel, it's a, a Essentially, a life-changing encounter. The angel Gabriel turns up and speaks to him. And we're going to see what his reaction is. So Luke chapter 1 and verse 8 onwards. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, All the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent or not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Quickly go into this before I do a compare and contrast with the next person that meets the angel Gabriel. He has the perfect response. Whenever an angel appears... People are terrified, and understandably so. You're in this kind of shock and awe, and he was scared. And the angels are messengers for God. They bring a direct message from God. First thing is, do not be afraid. And then he gives the message, and it's of a son. And we see uh, that the angel says, God has heard your prayer. Probably two prayers this means. As a high priest, you'd be praying for the nation of Israel. So he'd been praying for the nation of Israel, interceding on their behalf before God. 
But it shows that there's been a second prayer very, very close to Zechariah's heart. And he's been praying for a son. And it's not just like a, a quick prayer. This guy is around 90 years old. And he has been praying persistently. Because those prayers have seemingly gone unanswered, he's kind of given up. Like this deferred hope, there's this disappointment instead has filled his heart. Now you'd think that an angel appearing before him would be sufficient kind of encouragement enough that God is doing something. But when we have suffered a lot, when we are deeply disappointed with life situations with ourselves, we kind of calcify our heart. And what it does is when God brings good news or when God brings hope and expectation and anticipation, it kind of distorts it. So it kind of defiles it. It's like we are not able to receive it properly. And Zechariah asked the angel, it's a, it's a reasonable question. Uh, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. This is basically saying, it, that what you're saying is impossible and I want you to give me an extra sign. Like, how can I believe you? And the angel Gabriel gives a job description. Like, how can I believe you? How about this? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. So he gives him his job description. Then he kind of rebukes him. It's in love, but he makes him go deaf and mute. It says here mute, but it's likely deaf and mute at the same time. You think, why? Why would the angel Gabriel do that? And it's because he wanted uh, Zechariah to know that what God says is going to come true. And he has all the power to make it come true. Just like he has the power to suddenly make you go deaf and dumb. He says that that's a mute to Zechariah. The other thing that would have been helpful with him going mute is he would not be able to articulate disappointment. He would not be able to persuade himself that this couldn't really be true. Like, this is too good to be true. It surely isn't. Maybe I didn't really see the angel. Maybe I was hungry. I've been fasting, and a whole load of stuff happened, and I've just made this whole thing up. But instead, it's like, no, God is real. He has power. And your heart needs to receive the good news of God. What he's making Zechariah do in losing the power to speak and hear is making him submit to God. Now, the word submit has very negative connotations. Uh, I've said, will you submit to my wife once? That was in the first week of marriage. I never, ever did it again. Uh, that's nearly 15 years ago. That's terrible connotations. But submission in Scripture is like a sweet surrender. It's trusting and letting go. Dan has taught before, it's like a flower with the sun shining on the flower, and it opens up to reveal its beauty. So what the angel is doing is saying, look, submit, the word is going to come true. And we, we continue after, after John has been born, the first words that come out of his mouth, Zechariah's mouth, of praise and adoration. And he speaks about who God is. He is faithful. He is a kind and good God. See this encounter, Zechariah's heart, although he was appointed full of disappointment and understandably so, which meant when he heard good news, he couldn't really receive it. 
But then it came true, and he was full of belief and praise. Let's compare that to Mary, very different person. Mary, probably 14 years old. This was not an encounter in the Holy of Holies surrounded by people praying. This is likely in her home. She's outside the temple. It would seemingly outside favor, outside a special appointment. But the angel Gabriel turns up to Mary as well, giving a very similar message, a message of good news, a message of a son. And you'll see she's initially very, very scared, understandably, of Gabriel. But in her heart, and some of it probably hasn't been knocked out of her yet, there's no real disappointment. Like, if you live long enough, you'll learn to fill your heart with things that you think, I'm just going to get hurt, so I might as well not reach for hope. Might as well not reach for God's promises. Mary is in a position where she's ready to receive good news. Let's listen to the account and see Gabriel, uh, Gabriel turns up to her. In the sixth month, and this is verse 26, chapter 1, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And then a similar kind of response, but judging on how the angel Gabriel interacts with her, it's a lot less negative than Zechariah's. It's not so much a Zechariah's was, that's impossible, give me more evidence. Mary's like, help me understand what you're saying. It says, verse 33, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be, uh, to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. And he closes it. For no word from God will ever fail. And see Mary's response. It's kind of submission, and it's belief, and it's praise. She says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. The perfect response for a disciple. You listen, you're going to obey. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And then soon afterwards in verse 46, long before Jesus is born, Mary sings this song, very similar to what Zechariah says. It's about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, how he remembers his covenant to his people, how he's going to change everything. But she said it after the visitation. Zechariah said it after uh, John had been born. So two completely different reactions. Mary's heart had not been full up with disappointment and hurt. 
So my question to us today is what is in our hearts? What is in our hearts? It's really, really important that what lies in the reservoir of our hearts, like the very essence of our being, is God's word and his promises, not deferred hope and disappointment. So if we don't deal with our hearts when God turns up in a, a stronger way, we'll not really be able to see the good news and we'll not be able to interpret the good news for what it is. So before I became a Christian, there's a phrase that just worked really well for me. It's too good to be true. Like, everyone's out to get everyone else. If it looks too good to be true, it's because it is. When I heard the gospel, I came to realize that it's so good, it's true. Now, we live in a season before we meet the Lord face to face, where we are guaranteed suffering, we're guaranteed persecution, we're guaranteed troubles and hardship. I am not saying, ooh, this is all too good to be true. Or this is so enjoyable, it's from God. What I am saying, though, is the faith, the Christian faith, that death has lost its sting, that we will forever be in God's presence, that holds firm and that holds true. So I'm going to give you a a minute or two I'm going to pray before I do and give you a minute or two just to reflect. Father, what, what is in the majority in my heart right now? Is it hope? Is it belief? Is it praise? Is it your word? Is it disappointment? Is it the worries of the world? Is it upcoming exams? Is it financial issues? So I pray quietly, uh, pray for that for a quiet moment or two. Then I'm going to give you some very real promises of God that you can fill your heart up with. It's not chicken soup for the soul. It's not kind of put on pink lenses and pretend everything's okay. These are unbreakable, unshakable promises from God that will come true in your life. Holy Spirit, I pray that each person here, Lord, you give us a a view, a snapshot of what it is that is in our hearts. Lord, you'd you'd bring it to mind in pictures, you'd bring it to mind with a word, Lord, and help us just to interact with you about that. kind of revealing if we just do that self-reflection, particularly when we ask God to guide us as to what really is going on. In your heart, is it the enthusiastic promises of God? Or are we actually just regularly pressing that negative button? Now, I'm someone that struggles with depression. I'm well aware that there's a negative view to look at the world, which doesn't just go away when you go, woohoo! I'm going to look at things differently. God is saying through his word 
is it can change the perspective on the hardships. So if you look outside, my, care, my mood is uh, influenced more than I care to admit by the sun shining. Now, the sun is always in the heavens. It's always doing what it is doing. There are times when you can see the sun. It's kind of a backdrop to your daily life. It's not, you're not staring at it, but it's a backdrop to your daily life. You're more aware of its presence, and it just changes the way you look at everything. Now, bad stuff can still happen. Disappointments can still happen, but there's just a different view. And as the storm breaks later on, that sun is, uh, the sun is still shining. But we might not know it is as our kids are pulling each other's hairs out in a room and thunderstorms are going on outside. We've all got cabin fever. I really need a babysitter, so you want to come around sometime. Don't let that put you off. But the sun is still there. I'm going to share with you some of God's promises, which are kind of like that. What they do is they're in the background of our lives. Like the facts are still the same in our life. The reality is still the same. But the vividness of God's promises kind of changes the light on the problems in front of us. We kind of see them as God sees them. And he sees things through their temporary nature. He keeps his promises. And when he keeps them, we will be overflowing with praise and belief and delight. So I'm going to read five different, uh, five different promises out. As I read these, I would like you to reflect. I mean, read each one twice. Is this is one that God wants you to put in your heart. This is one that you can memorize. Is this one that you can keep repeating? And over time... It will just be a part of your belief system. It's going to take a little bit of work first. It's almost like uh, you'll have your regular life, and you almost have to change gear and think, okay, what's God's promise in the midst of this difficult situation? Over time, the more God's promises take a root in the reservoir of your heart, the more it's just this constant backdrop. Life and facts can go on, but they'll just be naturally interpreted through a different lens, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. The first one is God's presence. Some of us may be in life situations where we're thinking, God, where are you? Where are you? I have not seen you around for a long period of time. Read two texts, one from Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Moses is about to, uh, is commissioning all of Israel to enter the promised land. He said, 120 years old. These are the wise words of a man who has lived his life following God. He says this, verse 6, and it's the, although speaking to Israel, it's the character of God, so it doesn't change in our lives. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For them it was uh, the people, the other kingdoms in the promised land. It could be whatever was filling our heart up before. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Read that one again. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Some of the hardest times of my life, it's called like a dark night of the soul spiritually, and you are wrestling with the existence and goodness of God. Once you get through that valley, 
the one thing that you see was that God was always with you. And it's the one thing you probably can't see in the situation. But he promises never to forsake us or leave us. Jesus says something very similar uh, as he's ascending into heaven. He gives the great commission and then ends with these very reassuring words. He gives a great commission. It uh, ends with, I'm teaching them to obey everything I've commanded with you. Second part of verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Whatever situation you're going through now, that is true whether it feels like it or not. If we go outside and can't see the sun, the sun is still there regardless of our view. God is still with each one of us no matter what we are going through. Second promise. It's the promise of God's unbreakable love. Uh, There's so much things to do when you're parenting your kids, so many books to read. This is the one thing I've committed to myself to do well. And it's not difficult, and so I'm not going to disappoint myself. It's Romans 8, 38 to 39. And it says, God's love is unbreakable. If our children, if our friends know that nothing can separate them from God, they will be well equipped to deal with life. So the Apostle Paul writes these. Romans 8, verses 38 to 39. And if you are in a position of life where you're thinking that God has forgotten about you, hear these words. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. A spiritual attack that we often rehearse in our heads is that God doesn't care, he's not good, he's he's forgotten all of the commitments he made to us. The most true thing, even if you're trying to run from it, you are surrounded by God's love. We sang that in the song, we think we're surrounded by our enemies, but actually we're surrounded by God. I'll read it one more time. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, we are to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, maybe these ones will help you. <laughs> Praying out loud is really difficult at times. Praying to God when it seems he's not there is very, very difficult. I want you to know that God, in never leaving you or forsaking you, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, he is within you, just like Jesus says. We're going to read from the couple of verses, the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf. You've ever had it when it seems like a prayer has been answered before you asked it? This kind of coincidence happens that perfectly meets the situation. That's because the Holy Spirit has been interceding on your behalf to the Father who has control over everything. So again, Romans 8, this is verses 26 to 27. It says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So we are promised God's presence. We're promised God's unbreakable love. Here, we are promised prayer. What situation we're going through, whether we can pray or not, God is praying on our behalf. Mind-boggling, but also really, really good news. Now, if your heart's full of disappointment, hearing that good news doesn't really mean anything, does it? But then if you're ready to receive from God good news, if your heart's full of his words, that just seems a lot more encouraging. Then moves on, the next verse was a promised prayer, also promised care. Probably uh, one of the most important passages for me as I look at the challenges of life. Verse 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, some people just believe, okay, there's a kind of benevolent being that's just helping us with stuff. This is not wishful thinking. This is not a pacifier for our faith. This is not a comfort blanket. This is God's promise. And it's God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The cross of Christ, it looks horrific. The darkest day in human history. Devil's best. Perfectly redeemed. God is not fooled by the things that happen in our life that were not according to plan. God is not fooled by our poor choices. God is not fooled by ill health. He turns everything, everything for the good. It's not always great news that God is more uh, concerned with our character, becoming more Christ-like than our comfort. But trust me, you'll have an eternity of comfort And you'll be thankful for the character you have with which to enjoy that. So we're promised uh, God's presence. We're promised God's love. We're promised his prayer and care. Second to last one, we're promised rest. We rest for our souls. So often we are striving in life. We're so, so busy. Before I came to faith, you're busy with lots of different things, but you're also striving, and you're not quite sure what for. God gives us such purpose. He's so powerful that he also gives us tremendous rest. So this is from Matthew. He was the short tax collector who hid up a tree, pretty obnoxious, uh, used to make a load of money and lose a load of friends. But he uh, gave witness that Jesus said this. And it's uh, Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. The words of Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A recovery ministry translates this pretty much as let go and let God. There are situations in our lives that are unmanageable and way beyond our control. And we finally say, I can't do anything about this, God. You are going to have to do this. 
It's like letting go of the monkey bars as a kid in a playground and trusting that someone's going to catch you. But when you really let go, God catches us every single time. I am not going to blow smoke as like some feel-good teacher that says stuff. I am a pastor because God has caught me every single time when I am let go. I am not saying it because I'm a pastor. Does that make sense? When you really let go, I can't do this anymore. That's where God comes in. And he promises us rest. Promises us a freedom that he gives. Final thing, paradise. Revelation 21, verses 3 to 4. Revelation is a very complicated book that I am never going to teach through, other than Jesus is coming back. But the more you read Revelation 21 in the midst of this life, the more you're aware that the sun is always shining, regardless the weather. So this is uh, John. He's on the Isle of Patmos. Heaven's kind of been opened like a can. And he has this look at this vision in there. He says this, verses 3 through to 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So God says, like, I'll never leave you or forsake you. It's even better than that. He lives among us forever. No more death, no more pain, no more crying. All of the former things have passed away. This life with its troubles will look like one teardrop in an ocean of bliss. This life with all of its troubles, with all of its disappointments, with all of its deferred hope, with all of its hurts, and giving up believing the good things that God has for us will be like a teardrop in an ocean of bliss. Friends, what is in your heart? Sometimes it's going to take a little bit of practice memorizing some of this scripture. But I promise you, God's promises come true time and time and time again. He promises never to leave or forsake us. He says that nothing in all creation can separate us from his love. He says even when you don't know how, the Holy Spirit is praying on your behalf. Oh, and by the way, whatever you're going through, God promises to use it for good because he loves you. He redeems everything. And Jesus, like God in high definition, says to us, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We can let go. We can let go of the things that are really deeply weighing us down. It's not quitting. It's starting. Like, God, this is beyond me. This is for you. 
you are spinning the planets long before I was born, and you'll be doing the same long before I've gone. I'm actually going to trust this to you. And finally, he promises that there'll be a time when we will be with him forever in paradise. Not sure which one of those applies to you, but I would love you to take some time this week just to read through one. Maybe put it on a a small index card. Maybe have it on your phone, uh, like one of those screensavers you can have. Just let that start to take root. Because disappointment competes with God's promises. Like the rain and, and murky clouds and dark sky competes with the brilliant light. But the brilliant light is always there. Now, I've spoken about God's promises. I'm going to ask a quiet bit of reflection time as I close. Has God spoken a promise to you specifically? I'm going to ask the band to come back up while I do this. So at different times, maybe we're reading scripture, maybe we're in Christian community like a life group, Uh, maybe someone has come to share a word, and it's an encouragement. It's like, this is who you are meant to be. So spiritual formation looks like loving the Father. It looks like becoming holy and whole, but it looks like becoming our true selves in Christ. You've been saved for good works. Now, maybe God caused you in the past to dream something. What was it you were going to dream? I remember as a new believer, he said, like, you're going to reach the nations. And as life has happened, I've totally stopped believing that. But I was reading these, I was uh, pressed upon me, like, not only filling your heart with God's promises in Scripture, which are universal, what has he given you? What are the dreams you've stopped dreaming? What words has he spoken over you for you to walk in and fulfill? Do one minute silence for that now, then I'll close us with prayer, and you can stand up and continue worshiping. When we're worshiping, we'd love for your kids to come in if you have kids. Uh, So go downstairs, bring them in, we'll continue worshiping. Father God, I pray now for the next minute that you will... Take us by the hand and lead us back into some time past when there was a promise over our lives that stood out for us. And as you lead us to that promise, Lord, help us to believe it again. If we don't have it written down, may we have it written down. Remind us of your goodness and your faithfulness. Father, help us not to be afraid of of dreaming kingdom things. Lord, it's not how capable or competent we are. It's who you are. You are mind-blowingly magnificent. You are all-powerful. You're forever loving, and you are faithful. And just as the angel Gabriel says, no word from you will go back void. Father, if the words that we're thinking of, the promises that have been spoken over our lives are from you, help us to believe them and dream them. And may we rejoice and be glad when they come true. Your name's sake, I pray. Amen.